0: Welcome to the Rooted in Change podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Jan, and you're listening to the Rooted in Change podcast. This show features European cleantech champions and their solution to tackle the climate crisis. Today, I'm joined by Marco, the founder and CEO of Pionics. Pionics is an open source pioneer for EV charging technology. The company aims to establish a standard for a unified EV ecosystem by eliminating common pain points like lacking compatibility. We'll learn more about how this works in just a minute. Welcome, Marco.
1: Hi, Jan. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. My first question is always your background. Who are you? So let's start with that. Who are you, Marco?
1: Who me? Uh, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a physicist. I'm a renewable energy activist. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, um, so about me in my life, I have skipped high school because I wasn't good in English. So kind of that changed over time. Um, so learned a job then over a second track, went to university, have done a lot of uh, Jugend forscht, which is like the German Young Scientist Competition. Uh, that was really fun, learned a lot of amazing people there. And with some of them, uh, during, later during my physics study, I, I created my first company, a drone startup. Uh, we b- built surveying drones, so basically 3D mapping of big industrial site, big construction sites, and uh, sold that 2016 to Intel. In parallel, I was doing my physics PhD. Yeah, and after working a while with Intel, we thought like, okay, um, let's go out, and do something wonderful. Uh, which is funny because that's kind of the Intel slogan. Uh, so we took it literally, uh, <laughs> went out, and created the next startup. Um, in the beginning, we thought like, hey, "What? What should we do? What? What could be the next big thing for us?" So we have been too interested in too many things to decide. So we created a company building startups. So we thought innovation is great, uh, right? Normally, as a startup guy, you have this hybrid, like, okay, I can do everything. Mm. So, so you try to do that. And uh, we stumbled over a couple of projects. One of that was a company close by, wanted to build charting infrastructure. We looked at that, like, okay, sure, we, we can help you to become yet another wallbox maker. But does it make sense? I mean, there's hundreds of wallbox makers, charger makers out there. What will make you special? And you have to invest so much money in just getting to the Basics of it. And afterwards, you can invest in making yourself special. And we realized that uh, part of our drone startup journey before was um, we uh, basically, in the end of the days, that's okay, that's not different. In the beginning of the drone journey, we did everything ourselves, which was awesome because there was little competition, it was uncharted territory. After a while, open source drones started like oh, okay, there's some hobbyist building a drone. Okay, everyone was laughing at them. After a while, they became so strong and so good that those who have not joined this open source movement over time became outdated. I would say this kind of happened to us as well. Um, so we tried to change that as then Intel, I would say too little too late. And With this experience and then looking nowadays at the EV charting infrastructure market, I would say the same will happen here. So let's make it happen. So let's being us the one who's disrupting this and this is our current mission. So creating an open source ecosystem across companies and becoming the standard operating system for all wall boxes, all superchargers out there and and boost and accelerate the industries.
0: And that's, I guess the idea behind pionics right the company that you founded yes and recently
1: yeah that's the idea behind our uh, new startup
0: <laughs> exciting and so in a nutshell you just mentioned what pionics does but how does that work in practice so you provide an open source platform for okay. creating mm-hmm. that infrastructure layer yeah, for
1: so- charging infrastructure mm-hmm. so basically if you look at charging infrastructure so what is a wall box I mean it's basically a a small computer with some power switches or some people call it glorified uh, power plug at least for ac there's um, <laughs> basically this computer does a lot of control what is he doing he's speaking to the car he's speaking to the power grid Maybe to some humans front of the car, maybe to some local solar inverter, uh, maybe to some payment solution in the cloud, to some energy trading markets to find out the the energy trades, to some weather forecast Mm. to predict what is the solar radiation in an hour from now. Uh, So it's basically a data exchange and networking point. And... um, most of that is kind of standardized because all cars are talking the same API, all solar, yeah I'm not talking one API, but many and so the point here is that every charger manufacturer has to solve 90% the same challenges regardless of which product he's building. And this reinventing of the wheel or basically coding always down an implementation of the actually same standards over and over again is first of all totally waste of money. And second, it creates a lot of uh, friction in the industry in that adoption because you do it slightly different. Um, Everyone is not doing exactly the same and that creates compatibility issues and slows down adoption. And what we now say like, okay, the 90% of code which is the same along all charges, that's what we do. Like the boring stuff that uh, engineering wise you would call it like a, a user space software stack um, very modular one with a lot of microservice architecture for EV charging infrastructure. Gotcha. And on the pain uh, points... Fr- firmware stack, maybe I should say that because a lot of people when they hear software and modular and microservice, everyone is thinking about the cloud. So we're mm. not, the, not in the cloud. We're really the firmware within the device, which yeah. also makes us special because most people overlook that there's still firmware even in 2023. Right.
0: So basically integrated into... The actual hardware. Yes. And can, can maybe can you just elaborate a bit more on the pain points? Because you mentioned that um, there are compatibility issues, that adoption is being slowed yes. down because of those uh, compatibility issues, I would say. So can you just elaborate a bit more of how yeah. you as a company help to accelerate the rollout of EV?
1: So um, so basically, I think it's, it's kind of broken by design, I would call it. Um, maybe... Let me start with analogy. Uh, Do you remember the browser wars in 2000s where like there have been dozens of browsers out there and every website had a label like, okay, this website works best with Netscape. I don't know,
0: 3.4, yeah,
1: Yeah, something, right? And then people try to fix and address this issues with getting a certified website. Like this website is W3C certified and it's really compliant with all the standards. Even my private website still has this label because I haven't updated that for a while. Um, but it hasn't solved the problem. So what actually solved the, this browser war compatibility problem is there was a winner on the browser market. And it was actually not one winner. It was the, the Chromium engine, it's part of Google Chrome, but it's also used by Microsoft, kind of used by Apple, it's used by Opera. And then there's a the second browser engine, which is Firefox, but there are only those two engines left. And nowadays. Um, the innovation is not happening like someone is doing an extension to the standard and then it goes through some committees and then a new PDF is released and afterwards it's coded into the browsers. The nowadays we have something people call it code first. So you first do an implementation of a change of the browser and then try that out in the wild. And if that works, afterwards you're writing down the standard. So it's code first, then it's second uh, with like an open source monopole in the middle. And, And that helped to resolve like innovation slowness. It resolved uh, compatibility issues. It resolved waste of resources. And if you look for a while, this happened in many industries. Uh, it happened in databases uh, quite a bit. It uh, happened uh, in mobile phone operating system. I mean, basically the world runs on Android. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say that's another good percent. example,
0: right? Where you see yes, the same yes. pattern.
1: Yes, and it happened in your own industry, and actually happened in quite some other industries, and. That's the pattern we want to follow. So basically, we could call it a, call us a copycat. We just copy an idea and bring it to a new industry, and especially an industry where I think it really has an issue here to solve.
0: Okay, gotcha. And I mean, maybe do you want to elaborate a bit more on how the tech stack actually works? Because I yeah I, I came I've across tried. your the uh, the platform, which I think has a really exciting and. Um, playful name. And I think you went all in on creating the different layers. uh, Basecamp, Everest and so on. Yes.
1: So (laughs) um, so my company is called Pionics. But the software we're doing or we're mainly driving is called uh, Everest. So like EV Everest. Um, And it's part of the Linux Foundation Energy. So we created this software stack and donated it there, but still are the driving force behind this. But now we're joined by, let's say, at least with uh, three other companies, each of them donating several engineers full time. And then there are many, many, many more companies who are actively working with that. We have a super active mailing list. So this is kind of the community behind it. And Everest is the open source branch. And then we have, let's say, commercial flavored version of that where we sell maintenance contracts and it's hardening, stabilized releases. Um, That's called Basecamp. So we all, all go on mountain this time. Um. And um, so how does it technically work? Uh, Everest is kind of a microservice architecture. So you have a lot of different modules. You could call that like Lego bricks, which are have a pattern, how to connect them to each other. And each of them has a special purpose. Like there's state machines for the charting. There are cloud connectivity modules. There's, uh, let's say, hardware connectivity modules, like for power meters may maybe 10 different power meter vendors out there which are typically used. And then there's one abstract power meter, like how does it look in general, like what is the interface? And then the implementation for the different hardwares. And we do that for all kinds of uh, modules. There's like one abstract interface and then implementation for the different options you have. There's a car communication stack. It's called ISO 15118. uh, There's two and there's 20 we're currently doing. And also here, in principle we can offer you several stacks because we, they are exchangeable over this uh, everest interface the everest framework so this uh, interfacing logic is um basically a shell built around MQTT. so maybe if some of you have heard that MQTT is used a lot on iot devices like com- having them communicating to the cloud but it's sometimes even used on local hosts to have different processes communicating with each other that's what we do but we've wrapped um, how to say that, a type-safe wrapper around that. So we can specify in the configuration, in, in several configuration files, how does, let's say, an interface look like. And then we have code generators for C++, for Python, for JavaScript, I think soon also Rust, maybe Lua, um, where you can write different modules. So each module can be in a different language. And then it's basically serialized into MQT packages and then unpacked at the other end. and then those modules communicate. Um, And then you have the software stack. In the practice, everything what we're running out there in the field on a public charter, all those modules uh, aim to be in C++ or C. Uh, And C++ 17, so you have, let's say, a really stable implementation and and not so much memory issues, but still C, C++ to have it also fast and good for cheap embedded systems. And then we have a lot of also JavaScript things for simulating uh, charting sessions, simulating entire cars. So, in principle, you can run our software in Docker container and run in the same Docker container virtual car, and then having them communicating the same way as they would do in real life. So, they would not even realize that they're not real, um, which makes it also fun for engineering to try out new things, try out new generations of standards, extending mm. that. Um, yeah, prototyping fast and yeah. often.
0: And I guess also eliminating exactly what you said, those compatibility issues and really driving adoption of EVs.
1: Yeah. So that's what, what we're really aiming for. I mean, if you look on, um, so we use this Lego meta- uh, analogy also in other cases, I have recently, just for fun, I was at a trade show, had some half an hour time and was starting to play with my Lego bricks. And then I realized, okay, actually you can build something like the Mount Everest, mm. the base layer, all the drivers for the different hardware partners we have. And there are some really big names along them, like Texas Instruments, one of the biggest uh, embedded CPU silicon maker. And then there are many more of those uh, who will probably join us over the next uh, weeks and months. And then there's a lot of other, let's say, more industry-specific makers like uh, Charged Byte, like Phytek, who are building components for this industry. And they are the base layer, they're the interface, their drivers are the interface to the hardware. On top of that, you have all those Everest modules for the different communication stacks and for the state machines in the middle. And kind of next to that, I would say in parallel, we have the commercial offerings, like, like the same again, but in stabilized and with a maintenance contract. Because open source, you can't sue anyone. If it doesn't work, the commercial version, you, you can. It's a bit like the Red Hat business model. And then on top of that, there's a layer. Every charting station maker can put something on top, like customize it to make it his product. Hmm. Uh, and then on top Create of that... Create their own
0: small USPs out of adding the their
1: USPs, source. I don't hmm. know, maybe you have... Uh, I don't know, your employee badge allows you to Mm. charge in your company. Uh, At McDonald's, you maybe can order a burger at the charger, things like that. Uh, Doing special applications, showing certain advertisement screens. There's a lot of differentiation also in the hardware itself. And then on top of that, even their customers can start to customize. I mean, if you drive down to the highway, try to charge your EV, there's Eonity and ENBW at least in Germany, There's those two big players. They're sourcing from a couple of hardware vendors that chargers, but still they try to make it look the same, not only with like putting some paint on the outside, but also the, the softwares, the UI is specified. Uh, so each of the suppliers to program the exactly same user interface, so they will always get the same Ionity look and feel. So why is not Ionity programming this themselves and just installing it on all the hardware they buy? And this is what we enable them to do. So we, really enable customization and adding USPs all down the entire value chain. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's actually a, a double-sided advantage. So you fasten the deployment because you take away the what you described in the beginning where the code is developed basically 90% the same over and over again. Yeah. So you take out this part and then you allow yes. them to build a customization yes. on the sort of user-facing inter-
1: interface. Yeah, well. yeah. So these are really two advantages that you can, removing work that you're allowing them to be special. Um, Also with open source, a different license model. So you have to choose the right one that this works out. But then let's say a burden on a startup like us is like you have so many battles to fight. I mean, you have to build an open source ecosystem, which is kind of pro bono, actually. Then you have to build custom relations. You do that top down through the management. You do that bottom up through the engineers. You do it, let's say, pushing from the left through the supply chain. So you have to partner with a lot of companies which are kind of sales channels for you. Um, you try to establish a pool from the customers of the charger makers, for example, talking to the the big charger grids uh, out there and telling them, look, it's a benefit for you if you're sourcing an Everest charger because you can do better things. And so it's a, a multi-tier game we have to play. But if it works out, uh, we could be something like an Android and a billion of chargers mm. in a decade or two.
0: Yeah, if you imagine uh, the impact that Android had uh, sort of on the operating system for mobile phones, uh, that's huge.
1: Yeah, I mean, our niche is a bit more special. So I don't really like the comparison to Android because technically and also economically, there are some differences. But I think on a high level, it's it's Mm -hmm. a nice analogy. It's also the the scale we're talking about here is super massive. I mean, the entire world is going all in electrification Mm -hmm. regardless of what... Some political parties might say like, oh, maybe we do E-fuels. Yeah, maybe we're doing a couple of cars, but the vast majority is EVs. I think everyone agrees. And also, if you look on all the policymakers worldwide, there's all major um, uh, political um, groups uh, like from the United States, uh, the major states there to China, to Europe, a super huge push to electrification. So I I would say in 10 years from now, there's barely any non-EV sold. Uh, just Germany, for example, is just average on a global layer. So you would assume like, okay, there are so many pure states around the world. So Germany has to be one of the leaders. No, we're actually not. We're just average. So China is in front of us, Norway, for sure. And um, if you accelerate this, what does it mean? Um, There's currently, I think, one point something billion cars on the globe. If all of that will be electrified, um, plus the trucks, and then typically have more than one charger per EV, so there might be two billion charges when we're done with the electrification. So a lot of IoT devices, where it's worth to have a look on them. What mm. makes what do you want to do special for them?
0: Yeah, yeah, really good point. Okay, I, I think that's a really good point in time to say, say sort of this is the outlook. But how yes. far have you come? Uh, have you come? So I mean, we talked about sort of the the first steps, but how far have you climbed up the mountain that you want to climb?
1: So, um, I mean, we started this journey inofficially like three years ago, officially two and a half years ago with creating the company. Then um, made the code public like beginning of last year. So, one and a half years ago, a year ago, we onboarded the first clients. End of last year, we onboarded the first multipliers like Texas Instruments. Um, this year, some you know, some weeks ago, actually, we signed. Uh, we closed a really, really amazing fundraising round. Uh, I was yeah. Congrats 5. on 6... that! I saw that. Thanks a lot. Five point six million. So, one point three in convertible loans and four point three in uh, actually fresh money, and it was massively oversubscribed. And to be honest, I had a hard time fundraising over the last one and a half years. I yeah, can imagine <laughs> everyone like, okay, so you're giving away your software for free. Yeah. So how do you want to make money with that? Are you. Quite sure? an a
0: useful approach in the show, industry. Show me
1: a one point, a young one million ARR. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we stop talking here. Like, right. okay, I have to do land grab first, and he, you have to find the right investors who who sees this and understand this. Uh, but beginning of this year, the situation flipped. Even though the entire startup ecosystem, what I hear, is really on the downwards trend, and there's too little money everywhere. But we got it massively oversubscribed. We plan to raise like two million. We got offered offered about 14 and then ended up with picking this 5 point something. Um, yeah. And, that and you got a us... good set
0: of investors as well, right? Uh, when I looked I... at the set, it was, um, yeah, sort of experts in the industry uh, as well as, yeah, really driven um, investors that support the climate transition.
1: So yeah, we have a really, really broad set of investors. There's no strategic investor along um, ours. I think this is a really advantage because there's nothing to fear for our customers. And also the open source ecosystem is really protecting them that we can't uh, snitch on them. So they can always basically be free to go. Um, so our investors are, are from the climate tech space. Some people say like, oh, you don't, you should not have too much impact investors, but I think this entire energy transition is actually a big economic game, and they understand it and they invest in the right level. So they basically invest in the industry of the future. This is, has nothing to do with oh, let's say a donation. It's really financial driven, and I think those people are made incredible smart in what they do and also networking. So we have people from Sweden, Pale Blue Dot. We have people from Munich, Yabio um, Capital. Um, we have people from France, uh, Axelio Capital. Um, We got money also offered uh, from outside of Europe. There will be a second closing to be announced in the next weeks going outside of Europe. I can't announce them yet, Um, but this is already part of the 5.6. And um, yeah, then there's a lot of, let's say mid-sized business angels. Uh, For example, Peter Mertens, the former CTO of Audi. So I think the the strategy we are playing is... um, our market is basically somewhere between IoT software stuff, somewhere between energy, somewhere between automotive, maybe property tech. Uh, so somewhere in this bubble uh, we are, and um, since the spot is so not well defined, also our investors try to. So we try to cover with our investors all those corners. So we have people from the energy, from the automotive space. Then we have geographically diversity uh, and. Yeah, we, we really play this strategically to enable us a good path.
0: Yeah, very smart uh, to cover all your bases, not just sort of in terms of support that they can, the investors can provide, but then also the geographic uh, footprints and possible introductions that uh, yes. they can make um, as well Asia as the industry. Is, is,
1: Asia is something we're really looking into mm. because you have to make this global game. Uh, we did that. with was our last startup, but we had really, really strong partners. Uh, So now we are on the reach out for who could be the strong partners for the globalization of this.
0: Right. What's your take then on the market trend? So you mentioned Asia, what's your view, for example, on the U S as well and Europe.
1: So we're already super active across Europe and also in the U S. So we just hired our head of North America and he's really busy already. And, uh, Asia is currently a bit isolated, at least let's say Japan and China. There's on the technology side, um, let's say the the Germans did something like, I don't know, 10 years ago, created certain standards, how to charge cars. And out of that, the nonprofit Sharon or this lobby organization uh, was created. In the Netherlands, there was a nonprofit uh, organization created around how to chargers speak to the cloud. And I think those two groups have now globally dominated everything. They went to North America, they then went to, I think it's so Australia for sure, South America, um, then I think India, Korea, they're also on the rise. So the only thing they have not covered yet is China and Japan, so mainly, and but I think it's okay to have multiple ecosystem. So our strategy here is uh, we are standard agnostic. So we over time will implement every variation um, there, There's a famous uh, cartoon, um, if this would be a visual podcast, I can show it. Like there's two guys <laughs> talking to each other, it's like, look, there's 14 standards out there. It's a really bad situation like then the other one says, okay, I can't can't imagine 14 standards, so let's create a new better one covering all the ones before. So then the new situation is there's five, fifteen competing standards and all of them are non-compatible. So I think just adding more and more standards, try to fuse the world. This is a game others play and I'm not really confident that this will perfectly work out. What we try to do is collect all the scattered things around here and implement that on the same software. So at the end of the day, by software, we're just compatible with everything. That's kind mm. of our strategy. smart. Yeah.
0: Right. And in terms of overall the EV landscape, what do you see as, as trends? What's, what's new? What's developing? Is there something that... Yeah. I, I think um, the,
1: the entire industry is uh, complicated. Uh, if you look on... Um, last week, so there have been a lot of uh, bankruptcies in the EV space, mm. also from really big companies, really early companies, mm. already stock uh, market listed companies on the charging space, on the EV space, um, especially looking at the charging space now. On the same time, in Germany, we had like a year, or two years ago, a really, really awesome incentive program for buying private home charges. And that expired. So people overstocked those chargers back then. People even bought chargers even they had no EV. And then afterwards you had this market downtrend because now you can't sell any longer because people already bought before. And so it's really going up and down in waves. And it's, there's a lot of shakeout happening now. A lot of companies go bust. On the same time, we also see that the overall number of players in the field is still growing because there's new startup coming onto the game all the time. There's even new big companies uh, like uh, tier one suppliers, tier two suppliers from the automotive industry thinking about, okay, let's do charging as well. It's close to what we did before. We did something with electronics, always with whatever. So it's... I always get asked for my um, investors during the fundraising, give me an industry landscape. Uh, tell me what are the market shares of whom? I really, really mm. tried to find that out. He asked so many research institutes and try to do that on my own. No one knows because it's totally cluttered mm. and it will stay there for a while. And, also and I guess because it's, it's
0: also changing so fast, right?
1: It's, The industry landscape is changing so fast. Also, the requirements from the market are changing so fast. Then it's globally really diversified. Uh, Everyone is trying to push something. Like in the last weeks, North America had a huge push on switching to the Tesla plug. And behind the scenes, okay, Tesla plug is only mechanics. But behind the scenes, the actual battle now starts. What to do with the software? I think the official path is using the non-Tesla software stack just with this new mechanics. Let's see how this will work out. There's so much power play uh, around the world. And uh, for all those who build charges, even the big ones sometimes don't understand the entire landscape, what's actually going on here. And also we have really hard time to grasp that. But on the other hand, diversity, at least for Pionics, our startup is good because this is the problem we're solving. We're abstracting away software diversity or standard diversity to offer, let's say, our partners, our users, our clients. Um, like a better market entry without having to deal with all of this legislative technology standards diversity out there.
0: Got it. Final question from my side. Um, So if you could look five years ahead, I mean, you, you already said sort of, you know, 10 years from now, the battle is won. Everything will be electric. But so let's look only five years ahead. How will the landscape look and how will Pionics look as a technology provider.
1: <laughs> oh, five years ahead is a really mean time because it's it's kind of too much to go into, too little to go to vision and it's too much to go actually extrapolate from where we exactly. are. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Um, I think we're still in, in the battle. I think on the car side, a lot of the new cheaper models will reach the market. I think it really will get the swing of this Mass adoption. I think now you got all the pioneers buying EVs who could afford it. But in five years, first of all, you will have a lot of used cars on the market. You don't have that yet. You will have also way more cheap cars. I mean, by then, also Volkswagen will release the ID2, but by then, also all the the Chinese car manufacturers will rush over the globe. I mean, what China did from an industry policy point of view is they really, really sponsored a cambric explosion of the industry. And then they're stopping now that survival of the fittest, but they did this not only for the for the local market. If you, I think there's a really famous and also frightening from a German point of view example that Volkswagen, I think did roughly half of their sales in China. And they had, I think a supermarket dominating position on internal combustion engine cars in China. I think, I think 40% went to China and their 50% market share, something like that. But if you look on EVs now, they're only selling I think in China. So China market share is like a fraction of what they had before. So this will mean if you extrapolate that, Volkswagen will halve. And if you also see that the new competitors from Volkswagen in China mainland are now also going over to Europe, maybe also Volkswagen will, I don't know, go to a 10% of their original market share over here. I don't know. Mm. But I think there's huge industry disruption going on. Also the the players of the future for the charting industry, probably not even born yet. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of in move. I think a lot of people will really spend tremendous amount of money to make land grab like with building all the fast chargers now. I think on the operational companies, I can see that there might be already some winners on site, but not all of them are yet born. And on the hardware makers, I think the game is open and also on the car makers. The game is open and um, it, it will lead to quite some political discussion around Europe, around the U.S. If they actually see that those cars will be way cheaper. And by then they will be way cheaper, uh, including the batteries. There will be at least as good as an ICE Count the all um, the metrics, not only on some. Mm. And yeah, interesting time set with a lot of, uh, panicking on all sides and a lot of disruption, but I think for the clean tech movement, this is perfect. This is what we need—a perfect storm towards clean tech.
0: I think that's a really interesting summary, um, and probably in in parts also summarizing what you said before in terms of how complicated the industry is. That we have so little visibility, but so much is happening at the same time, influencing the different parts of the game. Because obviously, the uh, a push for more cheaper cars coming for example from chinese manufacturers will mean that there's more choice for consumers allowing them to switch to ev thus again pushing the need for charging infrastructure as so on. so there's many components influencing one another mm. and at the same time not really being sure what the implications are i think it's also yeah. quite interesting that we Ale- as, as germans often look towards for example as you know with volkswagen being such a big um part of the german economy at least from an, a public relations point of view and attention point of view, that we then tend to look to Tesla as the looming (coughs) competitor coming along. But actually, the threat is coming probably not not so much from Tesla, but from uh, other manufacturers that will allow cheaper offerings in the
1: market. And I think something what also people haven't understood yet is that this entire energy transition will give us a totally new view on energy. I mean, Mm. all the governments across the world... um, are pushing for this it's called demand side management so you, renewables are fluctuating so what everyone knows that i think finally and you can deal with that and the cheapest way to deal with that is giving incentive on charging your car when the electricity is available mm-hmm. and that's that doesn't cost anything <laughs> and it even saves money on all sides so let, let's just get this done and policy makers realize that and they're they're doing it and i think by five years from now this will be an Actually, the rollout will have happened. So you have like flexible tariffs, and for example, I think two weeks ago we had a really interesting situation across Europe that energy spot market prices have been so negative that even after adding taxes and transmission um, uh, fees, you still could uh, kind of earning fifty bucks for charging your car. Yes. And I think we'll maybe the super super negative prices will go away because like an artifact of the market. But let's say the amount of time when we see close to zero prices on the market will increase way more. And if, you, if you're if you smart with EVs and with home solar and batteries, you can earn quite some money. <laughs> and I think this will also uh, energize people for um, like with the hunt for the cheapest gasoline, like, oh, that's on the other side of the city, it's two cents cheaper. This drives a lot of people to, to do things. And I think, we will get the same hand with renewables. And also with the adoption curve, with the insulation curve, with the price curve of this new battery and solar technologies, I think there's really, really amazing times ahead. And I, I think this is the actual driver which bring us clean tech will kind of almost bring us to the Paris Agreement. It's like the policy makers try to do their thing, lobbyists try to prevent this, but I think the super force here is the economics of scale of the new technologies that they're getting so cheap and this will dominate the path.
0: Well, I couldn't say it in better words. So um, let's end here. Thank you so much, Marco, for your time. Thank it was you. lovely talking to you and um, I hope to speak soon again.
1: Thanks a lot for your time and yeah, let's see you again.